this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room And I invite you to take a deep breath Allow that air to fill your lungs, to breathe into your heart. And with each deepening of the breath, allowing it to ground us, to activate our intuitive center, our heart center of inspiration, our core, our gut center of intuition. And moving that energy down through our bodies and in our mind's eyes, seeing us grounded to this beautiful earth, fully orbed, that there is nothing in this moment that cannot move us unless we choose to do so. And that includes ideas and thoughts, worries and concerns, fears. There is no room here and now for this as we stand together in a sacred moment. That divine connection and deepening and deepening with each breath, with each knowing. This is my knowing this day for myself and for you. And all that is required in that is a yes, an agreement. So thank you for your yes. Thank you for supporting me in that declaration as well. And so what I know in this moment for each and every one of us, we're guide, guided and directed in a powerful and beautiful in the most exquisite way possible, like never before. Something new is having its way by means of us, and we stand in the humility, the wonder, and the welcome of that, knowing that it is benevolent and sweet and kind and here for us and through us and as us. For this I give thanks, all the blessings of this day, for our beautiful musicians, for our volunteers, for our youth care workers, for our sound people and for our video people and for all the amazing information that we come together to use as inspiration and insight and touchstone to expand consciousness and to be transformed. I am so blessed and I stand in this great gratitude with you, inviting you to say with me, knowing that it is already complete in the mind of the one, the next right idea, the next larger possibility, together we say, and so it is. Amen. Awesome. 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 Well, welcome. It's really nice to get the climate back to the point where we can really understand it because it just didn't seem like winter. <laughs> but now it does. About 45 more days. The clock is ticking. Boom, boom, boom. Been through enough of them to know. You know, it's interesting because there are times in that when we're singing that song where I forget the words, believe it or not. I probably have sung that song and I've been singing that song for the last 18 years of ministry. And, you know, I, I, as a young man, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to go to Broadway and be a big star. And so I spent thousands of hours and thousands of dollars with, on voice lessons. Had I known that what I would be singing is the same song over every week, I would have saved a lot of that time and energy. But you never know. You know, that's how spirit works, all right? It was my dream, but not my calling. I could, have, you know, I could have put a lot of stuff into a lot more things, but it is what it is, so I'm so grateful for that. And thank you for carrying me sometimes, because sometimes I'm like, where are we in this song? It's a very, it's a, it becomes a very mystical experience for me. 
as does this whole, this whole uh, conversation. I want to share with you, we did not do this at the earlier service, but there's a beautiful ritual. And I had a young lady come to me that asked me, there's been so many changes going on in her life. And last week, if you didn't get one, we did our, our white stone ceremony, and it's uh, something we do every year. And there's, there's still these small tiles in a basket at the front as you move into the foyer on your left as you go out. Please take one if you didn't get one. We actually have pens along the sides to write your, your word or the, your new name, your new nature. And for me, it's always a meaningful ritual that gives me a touchstone to carry with me. And I'm going to fill mine out this week because I wanted to make sure with my words what was bubbling up. Because what I thought I was going to write last week, it said, no, that's not it. And so I'm gonna, I know what they are today. I, and I have about four I'm going to put on there. But ritual, when it's meaningful, can be really powerful. And so this young lady that has been going through a lot of different changes and, and awakening in new ways said, I would like to, to would you do a christening? And I hadn't noticed if she'd given birth to a baby recently, so I thought, sure. And then I realized that what she's giving birth to is a new, a new identity. So I put together a very short and very, I think, meaningful ritual in our collaboration, and I'm going to invite Kelly Grace to come on up, and we will perform our ritual. And her father is here, Randy, and her son, Douglas, and her friend, that the, I forgot your name, Melissa is here today. So why don't you stand here, and I've got all the props over here, and we'll do this. So thank you for being here and witnessing this and holding this space with us. We're here to celebrate the gift of life. And this young woman, Kelly, that stands before us today represents the continuous expression and ongoing nature of the divine source of life. Always seeking outlets of expression through our individualized form. Today we celebrate the eternal life, deepening and maturing of this unique and sacred eternal soul that we identify as Kelly Grace. We gather together to witness the descent of spirit upon us within and all around and about us. In and through and as the presence we know as Kelly. We gather in the christening and in the sacred rite of passage for Kelly. Through this ritual, Kelly has chosen to align herself with an even greater and intimate relationship with her divine perfection. And the eternality of her spirit and her soul's relationship with the divine presence we call source, spirit, or God. As scripture says... For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And where two or more are in agreement, it is done. So we come together in this agreement today, and your agreement as well, witnessing this. So we commit to remember from this point forward and to, stand in, to continue to stand in agreement with, with what Kelly agrees to this day, blessing her and ourselves with the power of intention, awareness, and love. So will you, Kelly... Continue to live your life from the highest truths possible, always striving to become wiser, more patient, and more loving of yourself and others. Will you always conduct your life in alignment with divine qualities and actions such as love, peace, joy, and harmony? Will you always love and respect the uniqueness of life that springs forth as you, Kelly, nurturing and supporting your unique gifts, talents, and purpose upon this earth? And finally, do you promise to nurture your relationship with God and others so that you are a harbor of a contentment for yourself, your loved ones, and that whatever you make, wherever you make your home, it is a sanctuary of peace, love, and safety for yourself, your family, and all whom you, you invite in. May the love you share add to the peace and clarity upon the face of the earth. So let us celebrate the elements of earth with you in celebration of that which is being given birth within and around you and all the good we wish for you in your earthly experience. Kelly, I invite you as I hold this blessed water from our crystal bedroom as a symbol of purification and non-resistance and to 
place your fingers in this water. And we know that it, it, it represents that purification and non-resistance. An intention that your life will always flow in powerful ways. As you smell the rose, may the breath of God fill your body with great health and wonder, wonder-filled ideas and possibilities. And as you light this candle, I'm going to invite you. Here, I'll hold the candle. We can do this together. We didn't rehearse this. Can you tell? Look at how good this is going. I'm going to invite you to light this candle. And may the flame of your passion ignite in your spirit your divine purpose. We wish for you that you accomplish all you came to earth to do, knowing that those you love are here and support and support you in that intent. And last but not least, maple syrup, because it is Canada. <laughs> no pancakes in the back, but maple syrup. This syrup is made from the earth, sunlight, and the wisdom of the maple tree. It symbolizes the sweetness of life that we all wish for you. It also symbolizes the strength of the earth that makes up your bones and intelligence that is found in all of the nature, the divine nature within you. I'm going to invite you to taste that syrup. Beautiful. Awesome. Perfect. Kelly, we see for you the perfect expression of life that you are. Thank you for coming to earth and blessing us, blessing humanity. We've been waiting for you. You're here now in a new way, and we're so happy you are becoming more of who you truly are. God's expression, Ms. Kelly. We know that you've worked, you have work to do, and we're here in support of that work. You are a unique miracle. You are magnificent, and you are capable of all you have come to accomplish. By our seeing who you truly are, may you be reminded of the life that lives within you, and that your unique, unique life purpose, skills, and gifts find their way into your life in full measure and continue to bless this planet in their full expression. Congratulations and thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us this morning. Isn't that sweet to witness and be part of? And I, you know, for here, you're here for the first time, it is Bring a Friend Sunday. I do not, I realize I don't have any friends. <laughs> I came here today and I was like, you know, I didn't bring anybody. I got to get, I got to get out more. But if you're here for the first time, I, I believe that ceremony represents beautifully what we stand for as, um, as a, a spiritual movement, recognizing the divinity within all. So I want to share some ideas with you today and, and uh, that I think are meaningful and impactful and, and knowing that there would be new people here today or, or people that are not, maybe not as familiar with the teaching as, as some, I wanted to, to tailor my message a bit to include that and hopefully I do that every week. It's never my intention to speak in a language uh, beyond my experience or beyond the, the scope of, of my, uh, the group that we gather. But we, we've look, been looking at this beautiful book, Undefended Love. I've had it for years, and I, it's, you know, and I go down in my basement, and I sort of have books everywhere in this one room, and I sort of circulate around and see what's alive for me. And I knew the theme was love for February because of Valentine's Day, and I wanted to talk about love, and I wanted to talk about love in a way that I think where love in our life becomes a, a powerful tool for transformation. So I'm going to move back a little bit here. How am I looking so far? Good. Because you know what Billy Crystal says, it's more important to look good than to feel good. And 
So Rainier Maria Rilke, who was a man, but that Maria always threw me off for years and years, thought it was a woman, a wonderful poet said, the deeper we know ourselves, the deeper our capacity to know others. Loving does not at first mean merging, surrendering, and uniting with another person. So there's an on-ramp to that. And so this, this theme this month, planting the seeds of love, our true nature, is really about, about our divine essence. Undefended on the cover of the book, it says, says, it continues after the title, the way you felt about yourself when you first fell in love is the way you can feel all the time. Anybody here ever fallen in love? Got, okay, Sue in the front here, so. <laughs> Sue? Here we go. And so the next slide is some pictures of, um, of, of aspects of love. And, and love really for many of us, uh, you know, we think of romantic love and we think of sexuality and we think of, and especially with intimacy. And what they define in this beautiful book, Undefended Love, is love's not based on behavior. So it's not about an activity, it's about a way of being. So what are we in, in, in relationship to ourselves and how, what are you bringing to the, to the world? You know, and what have you embodied? Because we don't get what we want, we don't get what we long for, but we get what we are. Isn't that frustrating? Man. You mean I got to do all this work to get there? Yes, you do. That's either our obstacle or our opportunity. So it's important, I think, to, to understand. And, and there's the first one, a couple walking, a grandfather and a dad walking with a little baby. And the next one. And there's a, just a couple of friends holding hands. It could be whatever we want it to be. Couple people putting, looks like a man and a woman's hand putting two puzzle pieces together, and then of course flowers, which is you know, such a, a typical traditional metaphor for love. But it's not, it's beyond this sense of exchange, it's about this offering of self. To come, not from, from expectation, but from contribution. And that takes time. The, undefended, the next slide talks about the undefended heart. And the first practice they talk about in the book is to use our hurts and losses to expand. So if we've, had hurts, if we've had hurts and losses and disappointments in our lives, not to allow it to identify us, but to actually use it as insight and, and, and a place to look of what, what that was all about. So we start to, to take back our power and realize that I don't need to be victimized by this. There's something here for me. This is an opportunity to, for me to grow and express in a different way. One of the keys to this as well that I think is, is very easy to confuse, like the, the Buddhists always say, the near enemies. One is the difference between personality and essence. So I've gone out many times, and <laughs> I don't use it as often as I used to, but, uh, but I'm much better prepared to have the conversation because one of the, the sort of uh, tag phrases that you'll hear in our community or our movement is, I'm perfect, whole, and complete. And when we say that to someone that is not familiar with what we stand for and what we teach, they will assume we're talking about our personality, so it becomes a competition, and it becomes a way of separating oneself from other people. And in fact, the perfection that lives within all of us is, it was uh, such a joy putting that, uh, that christening together for Kelly because it really spoke to the truth of her being and what's alive within all of us or maybe it's dormant within all of us, but our personality is what, not what we're talking about. It's, our personality is very necessary. Our personality is a way that we can manage the strategies in our life so that we can get from point A to point B and feel like there's some, some balance and harmony and, and direction in our lives. But that's not what undefended love is focusing on, but it does identify it so that we don't get, uh, get stuck in that. 
So our personality really helps us function in a way. It's a defense mechanism in many ways to, to help control things that we don't have any, in our own being to control things we don't have much control over. But they're talking about essence. Essence is what's left after all of our defenses are stripped away. The unshakable center of being. A place where you and I feel loved, loving, whole, connected, and joyful. And that is our natural state of being. With this divine infinite presence. That, that life that lives within us. And grounding ourselves in that more and more and more. So the, the journey towards undefended in, intimacy refines our personality and opens us to a larger perception of our gifts and inner resources. So in fact, when, we, when we're doing that deeper work, it actually does transform our personality because many of the mechanisms where we feel like we have to defend or we have to explain, all of that stuff requires less and less energy. It creates a sense of belonging, clarity, and joy that can never be taken away. What we experience in relationship with others is our own internal state of being. The world is not the way we, we see it. The world is the way we are. As Aeneas Nin said years and years ago and wrote. There's a wonderful um, story about intimacy and in, in, in relating. Intimacy is relating from the gold of who we are. So, so this idea, there's a wonderful teaching story from, from H.W.L. Punja. who was a teacher and an, uh, an East Indian holy man. And he would, in his, his lectures, would talk about, imagine before you on a, a credenza or table, three figures. One is a nun, one is a soldier, and one is a mother that is nursing a baby. And he would ask the audience, what, which one do you identify the most with? And then he would say, because each one is made of gold, and each one has the exact same amount of gold. It has 400 grams of gold. And so despite whatever you resonate with, motherhood or the soldier, the warrior or the, the nun, the Catholic nun, once you melt them all down, they're just gold. And they're all of the same value. And it's a wonderful way to look at some of the masks and roles we play and you know, to realize that at the core of our being, once we strip all that away, all of us have the gold within us. It's there. And yet we all take on these different roles and... and uh, mask that we put on, and, and, and rightfully so, but to realize that that's, there's more to us than that. And, then, and, and also the idea in this undefended heart is that love is a developed capacity available to all, that we grow in it, and grow in it, and grow in it. And so when we understand that, it takes a bit of the pressure off to realize, well, you know what, I'm still a work in progress. Give me a thanks for, thanks for sharing. Yeah, I'll work on that. I can do better with that. I mean, what, what is the other option? To quit, to, to roll over, I like the metaphor I heard from David Crosby, should I roll over on my back and put my paws up in the air and just whimper? Yeah, there we go. That's empowering, isn't it? We're going to have a small group, we're going to be the whimperers, so I'll put a clipboard back there and you can sign up for it. He's in, Douglas is in, good, you'd like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, I see, look at this guy. He's getting all this, this is great, I'm just going to talk to you right now. Okay, here we go. So intimacy is behaviors, our behaviors are not the source of our intimate experiences. It's not sexuality, and it's not deep conversation. It can be that, it can, we can take that to that, but what it really is is our way of being. Connection, connection, connection. When you're around people that are connected, man, they're solid. They're like, they know who they are, wow. I was just sharing the other day about this whole thing with projection. 
Man, when you're in a, everybody's unresolved stuff comes at you. And it's like, once you understand that, it makes it so much easier. It's like, wow. Because I used to go home all the time and think, oh, man, what did I screw up now? And I realized, wow. Because I could say the same thing to two different people. And one would just be like on fire with love and joy. And the other would be like, I resent that. Okay. um, What are we talking about? And just to make peace with that in my own being, like people had their experience. And if there's conversation to have and there's work to do, whatever it may be, it's a beautiful thing. It's so freeing. So I want to put a slide up right now. Our legacy, if you're here for the, for the first time, I want to talk about the legacy of what we teach, which is, which is new thought, which is metaphysical living, this idea. And, and there's no new thoughts. We get that. But what happens for us as we, do, as we grow and move down our path of enfoldment and revealing and putting down and shedding, new thoughts show up for us. So we become this, we become this welcome capacity of possibility. I love that. And so this picture is a picture of Mary Baker Eddy. And I didn't know much of this until I was doing some research. I said, what would be a great story to, to example this about how consciousness continues to grow and evolve and, and change? So, Val, Val Kilmer, Kilmer, the actor, well, most of us know who he is, is producing a movie about Mark Twain and Mary Baker Eddy. And, and what inspired this, and there's a website on on. No, online, you can go read all this, but I, I borrowed it. I'm going to share it with you right now. In 1866, Mary Baker Eddy, was de- she was destitute. She was broke, widowed by one husband, abandoned by another, and she was crippled in an accident and hovering near death. Her sudden recovery marked not only her rebirth, but the emergence of a new religious movement in North America. So she went to, and saw Quimby, Phineas Quimby. What a great name, huh? Should have had a circus, but he wasn't. He was a clockmaker. <laughs> so Quimby was a New England clockmaker, and he thought very linearly. He, he looked at things very strategically. He was influenced by Swedenborg, who was an amazing mystic, and then Mesmer, who was doing this hypnosis thing in France. And then Quimby got a hold of Mesmer or saw Mesmer work, and he realized, you know what? I don't think you have to put people in a trance to influence consciousness. So he, started, he came up with his own form of affirmative prayer. And, and Mary Baker already went to see him when she was in a state of, uh, of depletion and, 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 and struggling. And she had a shift. And she started to heal. And she went home and she went back to her life. And all of a sudden, the, the condition uh, came back. And so she realized, I've got to go back and spend more time until this really takes. She hadn't embodied it yet. So anyway, over the time period and, and doing research on this, she worked with over 2 million people. I had no idea. I'm like, wow. But that's not the most remarkable thing. She revolutionized the concept of faith and its relationship to mind and body. She was a controversial, controversial original whose novel definition of God made it into Webster's Dictionary and who taught her healing technique to thousands despite massive opposition. Because for many, it's blasphemous to think that where would God be? God is an exterior experience. God is a man on a, on a cloud with a beard. God, you know, and she understood that God was a principle. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote right in, in many of his writings, let the mind that is in Jesus Christ be in you. He's talking about consciousness. He understood that. And yet that sort of gets glossed over. We go, that he didn't mean that. He just meant that you should love God and love Jesus more. And I certainly love all that, but also realize it has to, it has to be much more than my loving of an exterior power. That just creates more separation for me. So she understood this. So this is a really amazing stuff. She said some of the most powerful men of her day, Joseph Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize, uh, publisher, as well as Will- William Randolph Hearst and Mark Twain, 
all published outrageous claims about her. They said she was insane, a fraud, a plagiarist, a charlatan, immoral, a thief, and even dead. I mean, here's a woman in the late 1800s that's got all of the, the, the popular media. You know, there wasn't any internet, but if you read a newspaper, you'd read about it because they wanted to bring her down for whatever reason. Pulitzer even backed a lawsuit that attempted to prove Eddie was insane or incompetent. Had the lawsuit succeeded, her popular church could not have, would have been dismantled. Her publishing company closed and her substanti substantial assets ceased. You know, she went from destitute to, to being quite prosperous. As a result of this onslaught, at age 88, Mary Baker Eddy founded the Christian Science Monitor. She sought to pioneer a new form of journalism that would injure no man and bless all mankind. And I, I bet you she wouldn't have gotten to that point if she hadn't been, become such a, a pariah to the popular ideas and those that were, had influence and power. But she stayed the course. She understood who she was. She'd had a healing in her life. And a healing was simply that what she did was she stripped away the things that she was living, identifying with, and she put those down long enough and, and powerfully enough so she could step into a new experience of life. Because if we don't create the, 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 thing, the longing of what we want to experience in our own consciousness, there's no place for it to show up. So that becomes our work. And she's such a beautiful example of this. And I know for a fact the reason she was so committed is because of the transformation that happened for her. And it is a challenge. It's hard to put stuff down that we have identified with for so long. But she had no other choice. I think this tremendous friction that she faced really kept her, 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 herself engaged with her own transformation. And interestingly enough, I love this part. Today, the Christian Science Monitor is widely regarded as one of the world's great newspapers and has, ironically, received seven Pulitzer Prizes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. So it doesn't really matter what people are saying about us unless we allow it to be. You know, to listen deeply and to, and to continue to follow the path of giving birth to something that is powerful and beautiful and amazing. You know, I was thinking about rituals today and I got up and I have these... Um, um, I have a, a couple of beaded uh, bracelets that I wear, and one of them has a red bead in it. This comes from uh, Mandy Trapp's uh, trip to India, and she's working with um, helping stem the tide of human trafficking. And so there's an orphanage there, and they are making these beads. We're going to have them for sale in the bookstore, but it's a way of contributing to, to fund these. Uh, there's a school of about 25, 30 orphans that they're losing their place of where they stay. Uh, I was just uh, with Mandy and John the other night, and we were talking about this. But for me, it's meaningful. And there's one red beach. She had this, she had this uh, vision of one red balloon floating up. And so on this uh, smaller uh, bracelet I have uh, is this one red bead. But it represents something that's so meaningful and impactful that I want to stand for. And I've got my Ab Abhijani, uh, John of God triangle today. And it's got faith, love, and charity on it. And the triangle is their symbol that goes back to King Solomon and, and how the pyramid works with that whole modality, but it's wonderful to have meaningful touchstones in our lives that we can walk through with and, 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 and participate in a greater good. And, and for me, I look at it and say, you know what, this is great and I'm glad I can buy a bracelet and I'm glad that I can be connected to this movement, but how can I grow a bigger me so I can be even more impactful in that? That interests me. 
Because there's something happening that I think is really, really inappropriate. That, you know, it's not just me and I have dual citizenship and I love being in Canada. It's had so many blessings to me and I'm, you know, I'm still a U.S. citizen and I love the U.S. I love Canada. But, man, it's, you know, if I'm just loving my, my neighbors and there's pain and suffering going on in the rest of the world, I think that's part of me too. Even though I'm, I don't speak the language. I think wherever there is uh, evil expressing itself, I think it's an opportunity to bring more consciousness to it. So it's not limited by borders, and it's not limited by country, but it's really easy to fall asleep in that. So Mary Baker Eddy, this is from Mark Twain. Mark Twain had a love-hate relationship with her. Drove him crazy. Now, Mark Twain, at the time he was doing his thing, was the most entertaining guy in, in the world. He was like, I don't know who we would, we'd compare him to now. I don't know, Ryan Seacrest? You know, I mean, he was, the, he was the precursor to all these keynote speakers, and I've done this. I've, I've actually taken the course, and, and the lineage tracks back to Mark Twain. He influenced all these keynote speakers, Zig Ziglar and all the guys out there, Les Brown, all these guys. I mean, the legacy of Mary Baker Eddy, I'll tell you where, the human potential movement, there's all these great, wonderful classes. There's the, the, the uh, Landmark Forum. I went through a life spring 20 years ago, um, um, the personal best. All of these have their roots with one guy, Alexander Everett. If you go online, you go on Wikipedia, Google Alexander Everett. Uh, Werner Earhart used to work on his staff. Um, there were all these fellows that came together under his influence. It was about the human potential movement. Well, Alexander Everett was a Christian scientist for a long, long time. And Werner Earhart went to the Unity School of Christianity for a number of years. But what these fellows realized, they weren't called to ministry. Because I'm telling you, if you can do anything other than ministry, do it. <laughs> do it. I'm telling you. Unless you got to do it. And I realized a long time ago, I guess I'm, I got to do this. But it all tracks back. So we're, we're first cousins of that. Many people, times people will come for the first time and they say, you know what? I took this, this class and I'm with this group and we teach the same stuff. You should take the class. And I'll say, you know what? You should take a class here. But our roots are in this beautiful t tradition that we're not stuck. None of us are. And go where you're guided. I'm not picking on any. I think all that stuff is great. But at some point in time, you've got you to do the work and you've got to stand in the divinity of who and what you are to go to that deeper level. One of my students said yesterday we were doing class, and she said, I'm here because it's one-stop shopping. <laughs> I said, I like that. I'm going with that. One-stop shopping. Mary Baker Eddy is a spiritual genius. Fearless, stunning, tenacious. She has achieved fame and fortune as a best-selling author and sought-after healer. Her most outspoken critic and admirer is the sharp-tongued and irreverent Mark Twain, who called her garrulous, ungrammatical, and na naively and everlastingly self-contradictory, but concedes that she is the most daring and masterful woman that ever lived and the most extraordinary. That's quite a compliment. That's part of our legacy. That is part of our roots. She took Swedenborg, she took Quimby, and she put her personality and her awareness and her spirituality upon that and created a movement that if she had been shut down, we wouldn't be doing this the way we're doing it now. She had the tenacity and the, the realization there was no other choice for her but to stay the course. And I, I, you know, and I didn't know that about her. I, knew, I always knew that she was a teacher and influenced uh, uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins who taught Ernest Holmes. You know, but our lineage is, is quite powerful and amazing. 
So when, when you wonder where we came from, what are we doing? This is this unique and amazing woman. Is it everybody's, uh, you know, is it everybody's path? No. No, but it's such a wonderful path to have if we're called to it. Aldous Huxley wrote an amazing book called The Perennial Philosophy. And in it, he went and he studied a lot of the, the Western mysticism and the Eastern traditions. And he picked obscure things because he didn't want people to tr be triggered into things they might be familiar with. He wanted to incite a little bit of uh, non-reflective thinking to be present with what was being expressed. But it's a beautiful classic. And his quote in it was, we can only love what we know. We can only love what we know. And I love that because if we know ourselves more deeply, the truth of our being, the essential self of who and what we are, and we build the capacity and the, and the stamina and, the, uh, and the, the strength to love what we know about ourselves, moment by moment, bit by bit, which means the forgiveness and the, and, the, and the discarding and the putting down and moving forward, we can only love what we know. And we can never know completely what we do not love. So there's gotta be this connection of love. Love is a mode of knowledge. It's a consciousness upon the information. It's the beingness that we bring to relationship to everything we do or not. And we don't have to change. You know, if you struggle with relationship, don't worry about being in relationship with a significant other. Buy a plant. <laughs> Buy a flower. I've bought a few orchids here in Edmonton, and I'm still not loving them very well. But I'm working on it, okay? So you start with a plant, and then maybe you get a goldfish. You don't, have, you don't have to walk it, you just put a little food. And then you can move to a cat or a dog, but you can work your way up. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to, you know, you don't have to run out and run an ad in the newspaper saying, I'm ready for the right and perfect mate, and we're going to experience unconditional love and all these fabulous things. You could try that. Let me know how that goes for you. There's probably a couple talks there. But I'm just saying, we grow in the proficiency. Gay and Katie Hendricks said this. Imagine every day that you could remember less and less and know more and more. I love this quote because what happens is we, th we think and think and think and think and think. And thinking is a great thing and there's a genius on the planet, but thinking is just one capacity. And many times thinking will keep us from stepping into a full experience of ourselves, which requires that willingness, surrender. Imagine every day that you could remember less and less and know more and more. But what you need to know, as Holmes would say, Dr. Holmes would say, what I, I, don't, some, I don't know, but something within me does know. And listen, so where are you looking in your life, and where am I looking? Because if, if I look out at the future, if I look just at the future, you and I, just for a moment, imagine we just got here, and we're looking at the future. It's just full of opportunity. It's just, there's nothing but opportunity out there. It's amazing. Oh my gosh because I can't do anything with what's back here anyway. It's like opportunity. But what happens is the past seeps into our future. Well, I can't do that. You know, I'm on my seventh husband, or I'm on my seventh wife, or, you know, I've only worked a job for two months at a time, or whatever it may be. What's that got to do with now? What have you learned from that that you can apply in this moment and take it forward? So we either live by default or design. We abdicate our responsibility. We let the law of probability step in. I hope it works out. Default or design. We either live our lives by chance or by choice. Default or design, chance or by choice. So when you look in the mirror, my last slide today. What are you seeing when you look in the mirror? 
I mean, when they're, when they're little like that, there's such an innocence, you know? I mean, when you're around a new baby and they're punching their arms in the air and they're laughing and giggling, just like Douglas over here, yeah. There's this aliveness. There's a, there's a life there that we see. It's such a great example and reminder of our true essence, our divine essence. And then over time, we, we have experiences and then we bring our experiences with us. And there's nothing wrong with having a memory. It's nothing wrong with using experiences to help set the calibration or the choices we make going forward. But for so many of us, and this has been my challenge as well, I've, I've let too much of my past seep into my future. And, when, and to take this book of Undefended Love, which we'll talk about more next week and over the next several weeks, uh, it's such a beautiful example, I think, of what spiritual practice can be in our lives. How much love am I offering myself? How much grace and beauty am I really embodying that? And it's a process. It's a journey. Step by step, moment by moment. So let's, let's ground this in prayer, in affirmative prayer, this powerful, powerful practice. I invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable, once again, looking at your breathing. And noticing as you breathe into your heart, your being. There's a power for good that lives in and through and as you, seeking divine expression. And all that is required for this to be more available for you and I is to say yes. To put down the past in a way that restricts this experience of what's possible, the opportunity that lies ahead. And I stand with you in the celebration of that, the grace and the beauty. You and I could have come no other way. I don't care what you've done. That is in the past. I use those memories, I use that experience, I use that wisdom to guide and direct my choices in this. And so I'm so grateful to be reminded of this. I'm so grateful to know that we stand on the shoulders of amazing people. People like Mary Baker Eddy, Emma Curtis Hopkins, Ernest Holmes, all these amazing teachers that challenge the status quo of, of celebration of spirituality of religion and said there might be a, a, a different way to look at this a different way to live life. And I am so eternally grateful for that. I have been handed that baton as you have. So let us carry it well and wisely and beautifully and let us move forward in the eager expectancy of great good. For this I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is.